Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. As we welcome you along to the program for the final one of the week. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And of course, the emails are always uh, open 24-7, Cork Today at C103.ie. And I can already see this morning some um, texts and WhatsApps coming in about the unfolding uh, situation and what we are watching happening in the Middle East. It really is hard uh, to watch some of the commentary on the TV to see what's going up on uh, line. Are uh, lots and lots of commentary in the papers today and of course the latest coming out uh, this morning uh, that we're hearing is the Israeli warning to the people of uh, Gaza. 1.1 million of the residents in the north of the Gaza Strip which is a tiny little strip if you look at it on the map they've been given 24 hours to get out of the north and go down to the south I mean where are they expecting all of these people uh, to go Um, and of course everyone is saying the fact that Israel have announced that what is expected now is uh, a ground incursion into what is already an overcrowded Palestinian uh, territory and Israel yesterday said there will be no pause in the siege of the Gaza a strip no pause uh, for aid or for evacuations. They say they won't even consider it until all of the hostages are released. Washington are urging them to protect uh, civilians, as are the Red Cross, who are warning of a humanitarian catastrophe that is happening in the enclave. Israel has warned to annihilate Hamas, which rules the Gaza Strip. And of course, they're doing it in Israel, say they're doing it in retribution for what has been the deadliest attack on civilians in in Israeli uh, history. But the International Committee of the Red Cross, they said fuel that is currently powering the emergency generators at hospitals because there's no electricity now in the Gaza Strip. So they're relying on generators. But they're now saying that what fuel is left is going to run out within hours uh, this morning. And the Red Cross say without electricity, hospitals risk turning into morgues, which is a a really frightening statement in itself. They say the human misery caused by this escalation is apparent and the Red Cross are imploring both sides to please reduce the suffering on civilians. But the Israeli energy uh, minister yesterday saying there will be no exceptions uh, to the siege until the Israeli hostages that were taken last week are uh, freed and thinking of those uh, hostages and what must be going through the minds of the loved ones who know 
that their son, daughter, wife, mother has been taken uh, hostage. And I think it's, it was summed up by that gentleman who you possibly saw him on the news yesterday, uh, Thomas Hand. He's actually originally uh, from Ireland and he was speaking to a reporter from CNN and he was describing the moment uh, that he heard the news that his little eight-year-old daughter Emily had been found uh, dead and you would think that that would be the most devastating news that any father uh, could get but he said that he felt nothing but relief when he heard that his daughter's body had been recovered because he said being abducted and brought into Palestine he said would have been worse than death for his little girl and he said he got a phone call to say we found Emily in, and she's dead and he simply punched the air and went yes yes he said I smiled because that is the best news of the possibilities that he had he said that was the best possibility that he was hoping for That uh, so he knew she was either dead or that she was in Gaza and he said if you know anything about what they do to people in Gaza then it is a fate worse than death you know and he spoke about her that she would have been on her own she would have had no food and no water she'd have been in a dark room with people that she didn't know she would have been absolutely terrified every minute and hour of uh, the day and he said it could have gone on for possibly years so he looked you know he thought about his beautiful little eight-year-old girl and said the death was a blessing an absolute blessing and I watched him as a dad and I watched the pain in his face as a dad and part of me actually could understand it because I know when I was thinking of our own, the, uh, the Irish-Israeli girl, uh, Kim uh, Demanti, when I was thinking of her uh, and they didn't know if she'd been taken hostage, I was wondering, God, would it be better off if her body was found to give her family some closure? Because the nightmare you'd be going through thinking what could possibly be happening to uh, your loved one. But then certainly our own former president, uh, Mary Robinson, I think she spoke on behalf of a nation and I think on behalf of the world when she was talking uh, yesterday. And uh, she has labelled what Israel is doing as massive indiscriminate bombing of Gaza and she has labelled that as nothing less than a war crime. Mary Robinson accused both Israel and Hamas of committing war crimes and then she started to weep when she was discussing the death of that 22-year-old um, Irish-Israeli uh, Kim Damty. Uh, she said, uh, already sadly, Israel is in serious breach of its obligations. She said it's carrying out massive, indiscriminate bombing of Gaza. So she said civilians are suffering. She says there is the siege blocking food and fuel and electricity and water. She said that simply is a war, a war crime. She said there's no question this is a collective punishment against a whole population, many of whom don't support and don't like Hamas. Mary Robinson called for more protection for the trapped civilians and emphasised the importance of humanitarian aid being able to access uh, Gaza. And she went on to say, you know, Ireland has already been a very good voice in acknowledging the suffering of uh, the occupation of Gaza and the continued problems of the Palestinian and that's been Palestinians that's been going on for many de- decades and uh, she you know says the the settlements what's going on in the Middle East it's making that two state solution virtually impossible now and she continued to urge Irish leaders to keep talking about uh, accountability and she you know pointed out of the 2 million people that live in that tiny little Gaza strip I think it's about 42 kilometres uh, long 
now. She said a million, half of them are children. And she said that literally is inconceivable to think the suffering and the pain that they are uh, going through. And actually, as I say, a number of comments in um, the people's very much thinking of the people of Gaza. And Micah says our thoughts and prayers are with the extremely shocking situation in the Middle East crisis where two wrongs don't make a right. He says the extreme power of Mary Robinson's contribution on the Middle East crisis in her radio interview yesterday had some authority. It was incredible, he said. For a lady who's on the eve of her 80th birthday, it was such a well-informed and balanced contribution. It would bring tears to anybody's eyes. I would ask those who didn't hear it to go back on the RT player and listen to it. Today's generation do not realise how lucky this country was to have had a lady such as Mary Robinson as our President Mary Robinson. Yeah, we can be very, very proud of her and that's from Michael. Thank you for that, Michael. Thank you to somebody by WhatsApp uh, who sent me in. It's a piece, I think it's this particular message has come from uh, Cheshire Island uh, to talk about for next Tuesday the 17th of October. A number of workers will be going out on strike. It's for better paying conditions. These are the healthcare who work they're called Section 39s. They're the people, the likes of St. Joseph's Foundation Coaction in West Cork, the Irish Wheelchair Association uh, in Able Ireland. There's a number of I think it's 18 organisations uh, in total. They've been in talks for a number of years I think at this stage uh, on this trying to get pay uh, parity with the Section 38 HSE workers. They all do the very same jobs and up until 2008 their pay was linked whether you worked under Section 39 or Section 38 you got paid the very same but then that link was uh, broken and now there's a difference of about 10% between the the two groups and the biggest problem is that for a lot of those organisations you know like Enable Ireland Reacher Association uh, Coaction, St. Joseph's Foundation, they're finding it very hard to retain staff and it's understandable because the staff can go and work uh, with the HSE, do the very same job where they'll be getting paid 10% more and because of that there's a huge, huge problem with recruiting and retaining uh, staff. So they've been fighting, all of these organisations have been fighting for pay parity for quite some time. They really feel that they haven't been listened to and now they're going out on an indefinite strike from next Tuesday. I am still hoping and praying that between now and next Tuesday something gets sorted out because it is going to cause a nightmare for so many people with an all-out strike. I mean, you're talking about people who rely on uh, a PA to come into their house in the morning to get them out of bed, uh, to get them fed, to get them dressed to maybe get them to work for people who are doing independent uh, living on top of all the daycare services. My own daughter Marsha is going to be affected. She's going to be stuck at home for as long as this strike goes on. So I really, really am hoping uh, that something happens and that something uh, changes and that the powers that be will listen and will see that it is unfair that you have a group of workers who are doing the very same work and up to 2008 they were getting paid the very same and now suddenly there's a discrepancy and and a difference of uh, 10%. We will, by the way, to that listen, there's no name on that particular WhatsApp. Uh, We will be covering this and dealing with it in more detail on Monday on the programme. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie today on C103. While on air yesterday, the news broke that skeletal remains had been located at the former home of Tina Satchwell in Yaw that was following a three-day search by members of Angarda Siakona with the very latest on the story. Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Ralph. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. OK, what what led the Gardaí 
to initiate this search and excavation that took place this week? Yeah, it was a pretty dramatic um, escalation of the operation on Tuesday. We had three major strands. First of all, you had Gardy confirming that this was no longer a missing persons investigation, which, of course, it had been. I mean, your listeners would remember you get enormous coverage of this case over the years. I mean, Tina vanished on March the 20th, 2017. And from then, really up until this week, it had been a missing persons case. But on Tuesday, Gardy confirmed that they were now treating it as a murder investigation. Secondly, they confirmed that a man in his 50s had been arrested at an address in Cork. Uh, He was arrested under Section 4 of the Criminal Justice Act of 1984. That gives Gardy 24 hours to question him. He was taken to Cove Garda Station. And of course, the third strand then was that Gardy confirmed that a property in Yall had been sealed off and it was being subjected to a detailed uh, inspection or examination. Now, I've spent the last couple of days in Yall and really it was enormous resources was devoted to searching this property. Um, a temporary structure was put up in front of the property, covered in heavy plastic uh, sheeting, basically to prevent it. Uh, to give privacy to those that are searching inside the house. So there's no visibility from outside uh, into the property at ground level. Um, and that that structure was actually extended yesterday. Um, and then, of course, we had a, a lot of handheld tools. So you had jackhammers, you had drills um, being used really from Tuesday afternoon. And then you had a lot of heavy machinery going in as well. So you had uh, diggers, mini diggers, excavators. You even had a machine designed to basically clear overgrowth uh, in, 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 in gardens. And it also appeared that the search was very targeted. There was an area of the kitchen. There was an area of drainage pipes um, by the footpath and by the back garden that were being examined and also a piece of concrete flooring which was uh, in the hallway by the stairwell and also what appeared to be a walled up area by the stairwell and that's where the grim discovery was made late on wednesday evening and um, gardy discovered what they suspected were uh, human remains and they waited then until the state pathologist, uh, Dr. Margaret Bolster, she attended the site around 11 a.m. yesterday. And she was accompanied by Dr. Laureen Buckley, who is a forensic anthropologist. Uh, they went in, they examined the remains, confirmed that they were human. And at that point, then Gardy began to very carefully remove the skeletal remains. And they were taken by hearse to Cork University Hospital. Before they left the property, Father Bill Birmingham, who's the parish priest in Yall, and um, he said prayers at the scene and basically said that everybody in Yall was thinking of the individual and their family at this most uh, difficult and painful of do, times. Do we know? And we're waiting. Do we know? Was it a complete skeleton? It, I'm told it was virtually a complete skeleton. Wow. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And the, the remains were taken out in a coffin, put in a hearse, taken to Cork University Hospital. And two things are going on. There's a full examination and analysis of the remains in a bid to try and determine possible cause of death. And of course, the primary focus at the moment is identification. Now, we understand that dental records are helping Gardaí, but they're also conducting a DNA analysis to try and confirm the identity of this poor individual. Do any indication of how long that will take? Uh, we expect to have some developments on that, I'd say, later today. Um, Patricia, I mean, certainly Gardy are fast-tracking this. I think there was originally a hope that there might be some breakthrough in it um, last night. But we, I would expect that probably over the course of this morning, possibly lunchtime, early afternoon, we'll have word on that. And is the house still sealed off? 
Are they still working? Yeah, the house is yeah. still sealed off and the search is still continuing. And my understanding is that the Gardaí are trying to examine everything within the property that could possibly shed light on the circumstances in which the remains were found in that particular location. I think another focus of the Garda investigation is precisely how long those remains were at that location and whether other locations might be involved. Now, I should mention as well that while the search has been primarily focused on this property since Tuesday, a second property in Yall was sealed off uh, yesterday. Now, that property, um, I'm told it is not of primary significance compared to the main house, but this property is a lockup. It's on the outskirts of Yall and it's associated with the individual who is in custody. Now, that was sealed off. It was examined and a, a number of items of machinery and tools were seized by Gardaí and have been taken for analysis. Okay, and her family obviously are being kept, Tina's family are being kept up to date with the, I, I take it, a Gardaí liaison officer. Yeah, basically Gardaí confirmed on Tuesday that a special liaison officer had been appointed to assist the family and that, that person has been with the Gardaí or has been with the family all the time updating them on developments in the Gardaí investigation. And yesterday evening we had a special briefing uh, to the media outside Middleton Garda station. Um, Superintendent Adrian Gamble basically outlined that the investigation was ongoing, the discovery of the human remains, the fact that the state pathologist's office were working with the Gardaí to assist them, and that they were again appealing for anyone who might have had information on Tina's last movements to contact them. Now, again, to, to say that the individual who was arrested yesterday, he was arrested around 12 o'clock in Yall. Um, it's the same individual that was arrested on Tuesday. And that person has been taken again to Cove Garda Station under Section 4 of the Criminal Justice Act. That gives Gardaí 24 hours. But we understand that uh, rest breaks have been availed of this time. So it, it, the clock doesn't essentially run out at 12 o'clock today. We understand that it'll be much later in the afternoon, early evening, before Gardaí have to make a decision on whether to release this man or charge him. OK, and uh, we're all thinking of uh, Tina, Tina herself, because like any of the photographs, we've all come to uh, to, to instantly recognise her from the photographs. I mean, she was a, a lady who had great style about her, Ralph. Yeah, very much so. Very, very colourful person, very distinctive character. I think anyone, she lived in Formoy for a period, she lived in Yall. So I think anyone in those communities would know Tina. Um, she was, she loved boutiques, she loved um, clothes shop, charity clothes shops, uh, would attend, have attended a lot of car boot sales over the years. And it was, of course, a very high profile figure because she, of course, she adored her pets mm. and in particular her pet dog, Ruby. And she would have been very well known for taking the dog out for walks around Formoy um, back in the time. And then, of course, in um, in Yall up along the seafront and along the promenade. And I, I heard somebody yesterday reported it. It was like a scene out of a movie in Yall with everything that was going on. Uh, how are the people of Yall reacting to it all? Um, I think they're shocked, Patricia, understandably. Um, like I was talking to, I, I've been outside the property or near the property for most of the past kind of four days. And um, one man came up and, of course, he was looking for news and developments or whatever. And I was chatting away with him. And he actually turned to me and he said, you know, he said, it looks actually like a scene from CSI Miami. And to an extent, it does, because, you know, it, it's you suddenly see the, the forensic officers in this particular case. They have a mobile incident unit that's parked there as well. Um, the road outside the house has been re- reduced to one lane um, to facilitate the work of the Gardaí and, and the various services. You have cadaver dogs were, were coming 
coming in and out of the property. You had special breathing apparatus that were brought in to assist the guardie examining drains and culverts and, and things like that within the house. Uh, so it really does look like something out of one of these television shows. But I suppose really the major thing for you all is a sense of shock and sadness because it's a tight knit town. It's it's a very proud community and you all has had its share of setbacks over the last kind of two couple of decades of course you had an awful lot of um, major industries closing y'all the town very worked very hard reinvented itself as very much a tourist destination a water sports destination and then of course it was left reeling from the tragedy in august where you had two athletes involved in the ironman had tragically lost their lives so it is a proud community and i think everyone i spoke to said that they were just heartbroken for the family involved and that no one wanted to see this happen within their own community. Yeah, yeah one of their own, and unfortunately. Listen, uh, Ralph, a pleasure as always. Uh, thank you for that and uh, uh, belated birthday greetings uh, to you for yesterday. I know you probably didn't get much chance to celebrate yesterday uh, because you were so busy. But listen, we appreciate you taking time out to talk to us today. Thanks, Patricia. Thanks Good for morning. that. Good morning to you. That is uh, Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent joining us live from Yall. And if anything else breaks on that story, uh, particularly as we're waiting for the identity of that body to be uh, confirmed. Uh, if any of that breaks while we're on here this morning, we certainly will bring it uh, to you. But uh, once again, our thoughts and uh, prayers very much with uh, Tina Satchel's family. Uh, yesterday, Director General Kevin Backhurst, along with other representatives of RTE, were once again before the Dáil Public Accounts Committee to see how it all went. I'm joined by a member of the PAC, and that's uh, Fina Gale, uh, Dáil Deputy Colm Burke. Good morning to you, Colm. Morning, Patricia. Uh, Colm, why the need to have the RT executives back in again? What was the main reason for yesterday? At this stage, you might as well give them a key to the place they seem to be in uh, so often. What was the main reason? There were a number of issues that need to be clarified. Um, In particular, the whole whole issue about where there are certain documents that RT are not prepared to release to us. They're claiming privilege. Um, They're claiming that their legal advisor gave legal advice to um, D Forbes and other executives, and that basically that this should remain privileged. Um, my argument with them yesterday was as simple as this: Look, you know, the German public out there are not satisfied that all the cards have been placed on the table, and there's a lack of confidence. Therefore, and that's quite clear from the fact that. <coughs> The number of people paying licence fees has reduced substantially. Uh, TV licence fees has reduced substantially. So if you want to regain confidence of the German public, you must put everything on the table. And um, that's my argument. I know the argument put forward by their legal representative was that they're afraid, say, for instance, if prime time do an investigation and they get legal advice um while carrying out that investigation, they're afraid then that they might be forced to release that information uh, at some stage in the future in relation to, you know, an investigative uh, program that they're doing on a, on a particular issue. And that's their argument. I think it's a different issue. Um, prime time is about intra, is uh, is about um, investigating third parties or uh, institutions outside of RTE. This is about RTE only. And therefore, I believe that these documents should be made available. And it is correct to say that the Public Accounts Committee, you got your own legal advice and your legal advice was that you should be allowed. Well, no, our legal advice is that 
the, the, the remit of legal privilege is not the responsibility of the legal advisors. Um, they, they, they obviously have to comply with privilege, but their client, which is in this case an RTE, any client in a, in a scenario like that, um, can uh, decide to waive legal privilege. Therefore, it is within the power of RTE to waive that legal privilege. And the argument I put to them yesterday is that by waiving that legal privilege, no new proceedings are going to um, be created. And that's the point I'm making. Yes, I would agree with them that they should retain legal privilege if there was a threat of further legal proceedings by a third party, but that will not arise in this case. But I think the one thing that we need to do is bring back the confidence of the general public that all of what's um, the management of RT is fully transparent and that there's full accountability for all funds being received by the organisation. Okay, and it's in in particular the document that you're looking for is this note. Uh, it was a meeting between Ryan, uh, Ryan Tuberty, his agent, uh, Noel Kelly, and the former RT Director General, uh, D Forbes, and that was the meeting where the €150,000 that was to be paid by Renault, it would be underwritten by RTE. They're, they're, it's, yes. it's that particular meeting, isn't it? Yes. By the way, the, the €150,000, has Ryan Tuberty paid that back? No, and you see, my point about this, and this is the point I have about, you know, who else in RT was aware of the barter accounts, because the problem with the barter accounts, remember, all of the parties involved in this issue where you've known Kelly, you've run Tuberty, you've RT, all those parties are based here in Ireland, whereas the money was paid from a legal entity in the UK. And as the money was not paid by RT, RT cannot technically sue for the recovery of the money. Um, and I suppose the Barton Company, their their attitude is they were instructed to pay it out. Therefore, they don't have any responsibility on it either. So there is a legal, and this is the whole issue that, you know, if the legal department in RT were aware of this existing Barton account, was advice ever given to RT that if something goes wrong in the future, um, and someone doesn't deliver on what they're paid for, you won't be able to recoup your money, which is exactly the case here. Mm. Okay, <coughs> now, um, obviously, the financial situation at RTE uh, came up for discussion, and I know Kevin Backhurst, uh, you know, basically put it on the line, saying if they don't get a bailout, uh, that the the station uh, will be, um, the national broadcaster will be insolvent, I think he said, by spring of next year. Do you accept that that can't be allowed to happen? I, do. I think it's important that we do have a national broadcaster that it has its independent from government and from all political um, parties. And therefore, I think it's important as well that um, there is adequate funding, but the, the RTE authority have to convince us <coughs> and the general public that, um, you know, that there is a, a proper management structure, a proper checks and balances. For instance, you take the audit committee, I mean, it's quite clear that what occurred here, <clears throat> that there was, the audit committee was not technically functioning um, in real terms, whereas now I would imagine that the new board has it up and running, has it functioning. Because if you have any organisation which is turning over, you know, that kind of money, it's important. 
important that there, there are all the checks and balances are in place and that there's a constant review to know how can they be upgraded at all times. Um, and it's like your own station, you know, you have people there who are monitoring the money coming in, the money going out, uh, where you need to create efficiencies, how can you de- de- deliver um, a better product. You're always reviewing it all the time, but, you know, with smaller units, it's easier to do that. But with a big organisation, that's more reason why you need to have a very good structure to make sure that there's full accountability. And, and, and full checks and balance. And, uh, and of course, they've lost uh, another uh, chief financial officer with uh, Richard Collins uh, tendering his uh, resignation. Uh, again, you know, the point you made earlier about that the public needs to know that everything has been put on the table and that we're, you know, we know everything that's going on at RTE. Kevin Packhurst wouldn't give a definitive yay or nay to Richard Collins getting an exit package. Um, I think it might be difficult to do that at the moment because it may not all be concluded as regards what is occurring there. Um, We don't know the circumstances as to uh, under what circumstances he left. Um, So I think that's very much... And it may be at... um, you know, there may be issues that still need to be resolved there before anything can be disclosed. Okay, all right. And then we've got, you know, a number of uh, reviews going on at the moment. We've got the Mazars, the Grant Thornton, the McCann Fitzgerald, um, all currently carrying out reviews into different controversies and different concerns at RT. And of course, there's a separate independent review uh, being ordered by the government. When are we expected to hear uh, any results from those reviews? Reports. I think we we will have to move forward very much by the I suppose the start of next year um, to make sure that if the government is giving you know we've already agreed now to give uh, sixteen million. Um, the question is, uh, do we now need to restructure the license fee issue? And that's now going to be a, a bit on the road before that's done. Um, <clears throat> but the but we do have a problem now as regards funding of broadcasting. And it's not just funding of, you know, the national broadcaster, but also the funding of other um, institutions like yourselves as well. You know, we, there, people are paying a contribution in by paying a TV licence. The question is the distribution of the funding raised from that. Do we now need to look at, like, is it possible to, to um, have a broadcasting, um, I suppose, not sure whether you call it a levy or whatever, and you remove all of the collection process um, from it um, that it's automatically when people do tax returns. I'm not sure what way we'll do it, but we have to have a structure in place that we can provide independent, you know, funding um, for broadcasters because you know we're very lucky as a as a democracy. The important part that media play. And the important part they they play in identifying um, where there's mismanagement and there's mis- misappropriation of of public monies, and they've done a very good job on that. And it's important that we have those checks and balances with the media who are doing a very good job. So we need now to make sure that there is uh, <clears throat> adequate funding for organisations who are providing a public service. 
Okay, but that trust, as you said yesterday, that trust is so important. Okay, just to finish off some commentary from listeners. Hi, Patricia. I think the committee did a very good job yesterday, but I would question some of the members. They think they have a God-like right to be very aggressive when asking questions. You wouldn't be allowed some of that aggression if you were within a court. And somebody else making a similar point. Uh, Some of the members were quite aggressive uh, yesterday, but I'd like to compliment Deputy Colin Burke. He was very measured and professional in his contribution. So well done. And somebody else says, what did Colm think of Kevin Backhurst's, what this listener thought was an arrogant, flippant comment saying he looks forward to seeing the committee's legal advice. Was that a step too far for Kevin Backhurst yesterday? I suppose it was a reaction. I actually think him, <clears throat> I actually think he's a, quite a very good chief executive. Okay. Um, or director general. Um, I think he's good. I think it was a reaction, I suppose, it sometimes happens to us that we give a reaction back um, on it. But I do think the whole issue about the um, the documents that we're looking for is about making sure there's full transparency and making sure that, you know, the people that were aware of this barter account, that there is full disclosure as regards who exactly knew about it and who knew that it was going on. Because <clears throat> the legal advisor said yesterday that the legal department were not aware of the existence of this account. That's incredible. That raises very serious issues. Here was a legal department, which is, you know, professional team of legal advisors employed within RTE, and they were not aware that something was taking place involving monies from RTE, um, which was being paid out to people and with no right of RTE to recover that money if a service wasn't delivered. That's incredible. And that I find, you know... Um, OK, OK. And as 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 you mentioned, the fall off in the licence fee, it's now at 39%. That's two in every five people who bought a TV licence last year uh, not paying. Uh, what's your, finally, what's your advice to people who haven't paid? Well, or I, would say, I would say that, you know, we are very lucky. If you look at all of the, you know, the conflicts around the world at the moment, it's because we have a, a very poor democratic system. For instance, you take, you know, the Gaza situation. I've been to Gaza. I was there in 2009. I was there after Israel uh, killed 1,400 people, including 250 children. Um, there isn't a democracy in Gaza because Hamas controlled it. And, you know, what Hamas did was just absolutely um, appalling and, and, and disgraceful the way young people were killed, the way women were treated. Um, and there is no excuse for them. But part of the reason why they're in control is because there isn't a proper democracy. And I would say in Ireland, we are very lucky that we have a, a very good democracy. There's checks and balances there. And part of that is the broadcasters are doing a very good job in making sure um, that it continues. OK. All right, uh, Colin, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme. Good morning. Your reaction coming in uh, to my interview in the last hour about members of the RTE executive once again before the Dáil Public Accounts uh, Committee said to Colin Burke, the mice will give him a key to the place. They're in there so much. One listener says, I paid my TV licence. I paid it back on the 1st of August and that was well after all of this scandal erupted. Even though I don't watch RTE and I listen to non-RTE radio channels, I now am beginning to feel 
like a fool for paying it as many TDs are questioning why anyone would uh, do it. Well, uh, yeah, and uh, please don't feel a fool uh, for doing it because it is the law of the land at the end of the day. 39% of people have opted not to pay. But certainly anyone I know who had a TV licence last year and hasn't paid it, anyone I've been talking to are kind of talking about they're delaying uh, paying it. It is the law of the land. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to get away with not paying it. Now, how they're going to go after that many people, I don't know. But while you... 39% haven't paid it. It does mean the bulk of people who paid their TV licence last year did uh, pay it. So you're you're certainly not on uh, your own. Uh, Thank you for your text. And Michael says, Patricia, to coin the the phrase, we don't hang ourselves, appears to be the thrust appears to be the trust of RTE's defence. I would like to remind Kevin Backhurst and the rest of RTE that we the people, the taxpayer, we are their paymasters. They seem to have forgotten that and I would like to remind them what happens when you deceive your employer. There was an arrogance of supremacy in the air there yesterday at that Dáil Committee meeting which is not good. I think the TDs are doing a good job in their line of questioning to try and seek the truth which is only on a drip, drip of operation at the moment. And I do think that one of the contributions that was made by Colin Burke, we chatted with in the last hour, was on that very point that, you know, they need to gain the trust of the general public because it's because there's a lack of trust that 39% of people have stopped paying their uh, TV licence. But definitely, I mean, there was, I think Fiona Sheen in the Indo today put it as, like, it was like a bit of an, a Mexican standoff that yesterday. This is all over this note that came out of this video meeting that took place between D Forbes and I think certainly Ryan Tuberty's agent, No Kelly, was there. I don't know if Ryan Tuberty was there or not, but this was all uh, this note about who signed off and who knew about the agreement to underwrite the deal with uh, at Renault. And RTE were asked to provide that uh, note. They say they can't provide it to the the committee and they say it's a point of principle, it's become a point of principle now on both sides. But RTE said, look, we sought legal advice and legal advice tells us not to hand it over. But then the chairman of the PAC, Brian Stanley, he said the committee is now moving towards compelling uh, the document because he's saying they also took legal advice and their legal advice is that they can compel this uh, document. And that's then Kevin Backhurst uh, insisted it's a point of principle and on that point of principle they, they they do not want to release the legal documents but he went I think a step further yesterday when he kind of I felt very smartly answered back to Brian Stanley saying well I'd very much like to see uh, the PAC's uh, legal advice so in fairness to Alan Kelly of the Labour Party he jumped and went all in on that point saying that this is really really a serious moment uh, for you this is a pivotal pivotal moment for you he said to Kevin Backhurst. He said, I'm telling you this, if it ends up in the scenario that we have to compel this, it could end up legal, it could end up in the courts. And that's when he looked across at Kevin Backhurst and said, your position uh, could be uh, untenable. And you could see Kevin Backhurst was not used to people speaking to him like that. So, yeah, was there a level of arrogance in the air? I think I'd have to agree with Michael. There certainly was. 
didn't see the whole lot of it yesterday because it was it was while I was on air, but I did see a part of it yesterday afternoon. New, yesterday afternoon, I'll try and catch up on the rest of it over the weekend. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three, and thanks to the people for their texts to oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. Wouldn't you love to be at Cork Airport at the moment? I would love to be there. I'd love to be jumping on a plane heading to France for the rugby match tomorrow. But unfortunately, I'm not. But we did decide to send C103's Ken Parrott. Uh, we've sent him off to a Cork Airport this morning because as we speak, the rugby fans are getting ready to fly to France. There's three full flights departing from for Charles de Gaulle Airport in Paris out of Cork this morning ahead of the Ireland versus New Zealand clash in the Rugby World Cup quarterfinal tomorrow night. Now, Ken uh, is chatting to a number of fans this morning. Now, this, I have to, John Paul tells me, is a very noisy bar in Cork Airport. So let's bear with us and let's listen in and see how Ken is getting on. Let's cross over to him. If you're a rugby fan, I suppose you can nearly say it's like Christmas Eve. I'm in the bar in Cork Airport. We've come through the check-in and I just met six fans from Highfield. You're off to Paris. I am beyond jealous. This is going to be unreal, isn't it? Oh, we can't wait. We were here two weeks ago. We've been to the South African game, the Scotland game. and um, Did yeah. you just say that because I said I was jealous? Yeah, yeah, trying to rub it in. Been rubbing it into all the friends all week. Uh, no, we can't wait to get out there. Like, the atmosphere at the stadium compared to any other game. Of yeah. Even the, the pundits and the, the players are saying that Johnny Sexton said it in his post-match interview the other day that the atmosphere in the first game was amazing. He didn't think it could be topped and the atmosphere in the second game was even better. What do you think this will be like? Like we were in the match in Japan last time for the quarterfinals, and obviously it would be further travel, but like they're going to take over Paris this time. It'll be, it'll be like a home game, I think. Yeah, hopefully. What's the crack like around Paris before the game? Unbelievable. Uh, around the stadium, get out there early. Um, it's all the Irish fans. I couldn't get over the, the number of them at the last two games. Uh, it's just incredible. I said a match would be even better. Am I right that the girls aren't going to talk? <laughs> <laughs> Let me put you on the spot. How do you think we're going to do? Yeah? yeah, positive thoughts. Did, oh, yeah. did you see the Guinness ads where it said, you know, think it but don't jinx it? So good. How do you feel about Mac Hansen, Hansen starting? Are we nervous? Um, a little bit. Um, I wonder will he get the whole 80, but they have Jimmy O'Brien on the bench just in case. Um, but hopefully do you not think Jimmy O'Brien's a big step down if we need that? If we need that, he doesn't have the expertise. He might have it for Leinster in the, the URC, but against the All Blacks in the quarterfinal of the World Cup, he's really untested. Uh, he is, but uh, he's a bit more versatile than Stuart Petrusky, so having him there, he can cover more positions and give us more options to push. I don't know. Um, Gary on the wing and put Jim O'Brien at 15 and kind of move things around. Um, so, yeah, Jim O'Brien's a bit of a step down, but um, I'm sure the lads are confident even for those players. Right, one question, right, for the six of you here, I want to I wanna quickly do this, if, you, if you'll humour me. I'm going to give a possibility of an alternative Ireland best 15 and the 15 that are starting. And I want you to pick who's better, the team we have started or the previous. So let's begin at fullback. Rob Carney or Hugo Keenan? Who do we think is better? Hugo Keenan. Hugo, Hugo, Hugo Keenan. Hugo. Yeah. Go Hugo. Anyone for Rob? No? Right, let's go to the wingers. I was thinking Tommy Ball and Andrew Trimble, maybe? Who have we got? James Lowe and Mac Hansen. I'd go James Lowe and Mac Hansen, to be honest. Yeah, I would too. Yeah, I probably would. Playing together. Yeah. Right, centre partnership. Darcy and O'Driscoll, Aki and Ringrose. Darcy and O'Driscoll. Can we get O'Driscoll and Aki? <laughs> yes, please. What do you think over here? Yeah, 
Halfbacks. Stringer O'Gara, Gibson Park and Sexton. Gibson Park, Gibson Park, Sexton. We're in Cork, lads. Come I know. On. That, that, that's what he's answering that question. Just Munster loyalty, but I think Gibson Park, Sexton. Yeah. Front row. I'm going to say Keen Healy, although he might make it yet, right? Keen Healy are. Um, Archie Porter? Yeah. Um, Keen Healy in his prime, by the way. I'd say Porter as well, yeah. Yeah, I think Porter is one of the best we've ever had, ever. Um, Hooker, there's Keith Wood, 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 best, yeah. Keith Wood, R, Sheehan? Keith Wood, Dan Sheehan. What do you think over here? Keith Wood as well, all right. Uh, Number three, I was going to go John Hayes. Furlong, 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 yeah. O'Connell, O'Callaghan. Henderson and Ty Byrne. Uh, what are we thinking? Do you say O'Connell Ty Byrne? Okay, I, yeah, O'Connell Ty Byrne for me as well. O'Callaghan, you think? I, you think O'Callaghan? I go for O'Connell O'Callaghan. Just O'Connell will pull him through. At number six, I don't think there's any comparison. There's nobody who can ever raise a glass to Peter O'Mahony. Do we agree there? Yeah. We broke Peter O'Mahony. Yeah. yeah. Number seven, Josh van der Fleer. David, David Wallace. Wallace. Yeah. David Wallace, yeah. David Wallace. And number eight, there's a couple for number eight. Anthony Foley obviously sticks out. CJ Stander. Can't go Jamie Heaslip, anyway. So. Kaelin Doris not doing too badly. No, let's, yeah. uh, let's leave Heaslip alone. Yeah, go Kaelin Doris. Kaelin Doris? Kaelin Doris? All right, one last question. Who's going to win? Come on. Ireland. 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 Bye. More than five. More than five. Going to go with my eight. Okay. Ireland? Ireland by 12. Ireland by three. Guys, enjoy the game. Cheers. Sing Thanks. your hearts out. We'll see you later. Thanks. Okay, and thanks uh, to, we'll leave it there for now and we we might check back in with uh, Ken a little bit later on. I know some of those flights are due to go by at 12 o'clock. It sounds like it is a very, very busy bar at uh, Cork Airport. We hope everybody has a safe flight and that they all come back without the bed bugs, but they'll come back with the result that we are all looking for. And I've just uh, checked Ireland are marginal favourites at the moment to beat New Zealand, but it's just marginal favourites. At the end of the day, it is New Zealand. and uh, you, you can never, you, you never know what way New Zealand are going to be on uh, the day. It's going to be exciting, exciting, exciting. Now, 0818103103. Can anybody offer advice uh, to this listener? Um, and I'll see if John Paul is able to help her out uh, as well. Uh, could you please help me with the following? I'm a 23-year-old. I'm a carer. Uh, I have. I got my first provisional licence in 2019. I got my second provisional licence in 2021. Now, I have completed my EDT lessons recently and therefore I've applied for to take my driving lessons, driving test, and I'm awaiting a date. I've applied to renew my provisional licence and turn it into my third provisional, but I've been turned down because I don't have a date For the driving test, my current licence expires in uh, 10 days and you're going to have to have an up-to-date provisional licence in order to do uh, the test uh, as well. Uh, But the assistance that I need to drive for a work, any help or advice, uh, please. I wonder, can you get on to the driving test centres and explain the dilemma that you are in? Because normally they can fast track 
and they can give you like an emergency driving test, you know, because they get cancellations and, and that in. I'm wondering, is that the best route uh, to go down? You're, I'm assuming you're not the first that that has happened to where the provisional licence is about to run out, but they won't renew. And of course, we know they won't renew unless you have either taken a driving test or you are have a date for one. If anybody can offer advice for that uh, listener, please, well, she's only got 10 days left and she needs her car for work. 0818 103 103. Text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. General Labourer is wanted. Now it's for power washing and painting. It's in the North Cork area. Applicants must be over 25. You need to have a full clean driver's licence and have fluent English and an up-to-date safe pass. Call 087-7566-524 and please call after six in the evening. Um, Post OTC person is required for Timmy League. Fluent English and some experience in retail, admin and bookkeeping would be an advantage. Please apply with your CV and a cover letter to timmyleague.com po at gmail.com An AIM support wanted for a childcare facility that's in Newcestown near Bandon. CVs please to littlevillage 0641313 at com. And Collins Ventilation there in Mallow, they're recruiting for a general operative with current safe pass and a manual handling cert. You also need to have a full clean driver's licence 086 0832611. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 today on C103. Now, a special investigation is covered in this week's section of the Irish Country Living in the Irish Farmers Journal and it looks at cocaine use amongst young people in both urban and rural areas. To chat about part one of this two-part series, I'm joined by Margaret Hawkins of the Irish Farmers Journal. Good morning to you, Margaret. Good morning, Patricia. And, good to talk to you. Uh, well, good to talk to you as well. Now, drug use, Margaret, was always something we spoke about happening in urban areas. We spoke about it happening in large towns and uh, in cities. But is the evidence clearly there that showing this is now a nationwide issue? Absolutely. Those who are in the the world of trying to treat people with addiction uh, are very aware of that, that it is a national issue, like an epidemic. It's everywhere. Accessibility has changed hugely. Um, it's, it's not like going to the off license where you have to go and get it. The dealers have their network and they do their deliveries and it's out there everywhere, every crossroads, down every lane, 24-7 as well. So it is a huge problem everywhere. It's years ago as as the Ashari spokesperson I, I talked to said, you know, years ago, it was something that was there as a kind of a cheese board element at the end of a middle class dinner. Mm. But now it's out there for absolutely everybody. It's just so easy to get, unfortunately, and has too it easy to get. Has it come down in price as well? Well, I imagine it has. It's it's um, just because maybe people have more money and are able to 
afforded better than they were um, years ago. So it's there and it seems to be something that's almost replacing alcohol or initially starts with alcohol where people are introduced, you know, in that kind of environment to cocaine. And with some people, it continues and doesn't become a problem. But for other people, it turns into it being from being a bit of fun to being a great nightmare within five or six years. Yeah, and your your piece, uh, it's an excellent piece, uh, by the way, well worth, I would suggest anybody sitting down and, and, and reading it. But um, And you're very much looking at it from the addiction point of view and, and trying to break that uh, cycle of um, uh, yeah. addiction because becoming addicted to co- cocaine, that is now becoming a big problem. And, and we're talking about rural areas. Yeah, rural areas as well. The statistics say that of 10 people who who try cocaine, um, one person will become seriously addicted to it. That's the statistics, but other people will be badly affected as well. I mean, it changes your mood. I was listening to a mother yesterday talking about her son, thankfully having got through it and and now is in a good place and recovering. But, um, you know, he changed from being a lovely lad, a decent kind of, you know, friendly guy to be more vicious, you know, and moody and everything. And seeing that change in your house is is very, very difficult. So it's it's out there, it's happening, it's affecting everybody, urban and rural. And I suppose years ago, people might have thought, well, farmers, you know, they wouldn't be into that sort of thing. But yeah. we're all out there in the same society, you know, meeting up with the same temptations. And um, we're not, we're all human beings. So it's, it, but it is something, it is a trend that more farmers are presenting, needing help uh, with those who are involved in the, the counselling area. And I take it if somebody is addicted uh, to cocaine, it can have a devastating effect on farming life. I mean, their ability to, to you know, to simply do their job. Yeah, that's the difficult thing. Like if you're in the preoccupied and, and using that, are you driving properly? Are you safe on the road? Are you think you're driving better than you are? Are you feeding the cattle? You know, are you trying to pay off debt, which is a huge thing? You've got the stress and the anxiety about that. But you, you can't, if you're taking drugs, you can't function properly. And obviously that leads to all sorts of problems ultimately. And the whole family gets dragged into it, especially when, you know, the money, the money becomes an issue. The, the fact that dealers, you know, give credit and it usually seems to be around 1500 or 2000 from what I can gather. But there, I have spoken with people who, who, um, speak of, of people who are addicted running up bills of €30,000 and of parents borrowing, trying to borrow. can You can't tell the bank. You maybe ask the credit union. You sell something. You ask family to help. So there are huge amounts of money involved and you can imagine the stress and the torment. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. 
Shopify.com slash work. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Surrounding all that, um, who has 30,000 euro to be handing out to somebody um, in any business or in any farm? It's... it's um, it's just horrendous for family. And one thing that came across was that family can actually be suffering more than the person themselves. You know, with the worry about it and the stress and is there going to be intimidation if we don't pay and how do we get this person better? So, but the, I suppose the main message is that um, the earlier you tackle it or face up to it and talk about it, um, the better and to look for help, whether the person wants help or not. Family can ring places like Ashiree, St. John of God, St. Pat's, Bushy Park, the Rutland Centre, all those places. And there's www.drugs.ie, the HSC website that will point you in the direction, even ask your GP what would he or she advise you to do to get help. You need help yourself. That was one of the things that a counsellor said, that often the family is suffering worse mm. and they don't understand what's happening. Grandies, granddads, uncles, aunts, siblings, and that they need counselling. So in both the residential and the non-residential kinds of treatment, where you're going for intensive counselling a couple of times a week, even though you're home, say, um, the family is involved as well. They're having their counselling with you and apart from you, you know, to try and help you through. And there's aftercare as well. So it's, I suppose, farmers, and I listened to one mother talking about it, that don't tend to talk about it. And you don't want people thinking badly, maybe of your son or daughter. You don't want people to know that cocaine is a problem. But if more people talked about it, that was really the consensus that it would make it easier all round that um, people would look for help more easily and wouldn't suffer as long in silence trying to cope with all those pressures themselves. Yeah, there is unfortunately that shame that's attached, uh, I think, to any kind of drug use. I remember interviewing a mother whose uh, son unfortunately died from a drug uh, overdose and she said it would have been easier if he had been killed in a car crash than to have to open up to people Mm. to say, you know, my son died because he he took too much drugs. And she's just about that there wasn't that same a level of sympathy or understanding which 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 broke my heart to hear a mother who had already was suffering the loss of her son regardless of how he died you know she needs our support yeah. and and our sympathy and just on on that one for somebody in is it harder for somebody margaret in rural areas to look for help well there is that stigma about talking about it that's probably the first um, problem um that 
people don't want to talk about it so much. But, you know, we're all online. We're all aware of telephone numbers throughout in the world and we can ask people where we can get help. So I'd hope that's changing in the same way you were saying there about not wanting to admit or saying it would be better if somebody died in a car crash than being died from an overdose. We have to get over that. Yeah. In the same way we have to get over talking about mental health problems. It's happened and it's there and you might think nobody else is affected, but goodness knows what other family is hiding or, you know, trying to cope with themselves. So I'm I'm hoping that will change over time that you can say, Well, actually my, my son died from an overdose drug overdose, knowing that it's out there in the world and has to be faced and really we have to learn more about it in order to be able to cope. And really, that's that's I suppose the main message. Mm. Uh, somebody's saying good to uh, good to hear you uh, mention the fact that entire families are affected uh, by drug addiction. A friend of mine, her son got involved with drug dealers. These are people you don't mess with. She had to remortgage her house <laughs> twice uh, to pay off the drug dealers. Goodness me. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's difficult, very it, difficult. It but there is hope and yeah. there is help. That is the main thing, and to go look for it, please, um, so that you 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 get help yourself, and ultimately the person who is addicted will get help as well. And that is the one thing that does come across in your special report this week is that, you know, it is one of hope and people do recover. And that's the one thing that Ashley we were trying to get across. People do recover and go on to lead very normal, healthy, yeah. active lives. Yeah, it isn't easy. It isn't easy to change your life and to step out from the the world you've become involved in. But it can be done. And everybody, every counsellor I've ever spoken to talks about that. And the Ashari person, Sarah, that I spoke with, um, just the joy of seeing somebody who comes in to treatment who is looking like a half dead person. You know, they're pale, they're exhausted everything, they're worried, they're stressed. And, you know, as time goes on and the treatment works, the counselling and sorting out their emotion, having their emotional NCT, I suppose, that at the end of all that and the supports and the family helped and everything out in the open, that they're smiling at the end of it. You know, nothing's going to be perfect, but they've got this peace of mind again and the ability, you know, to take control of their lives again. And to see that is wonderful. And the other counsellor that I'm, I've interviewed for next week about who just provides counselling programmes over a three month period. The same thing, anybody who recovers is a walking, talking miracle, he said, but they have a new blueprint for life, you know, that um, they're able to cope with life better and really do without the crutch, the crutch of cocaine and just the family can heal as well. It's about healing, really, They, the person themselves healing, but the family healing with them and learning to trust as well, because the trust would have been broken down, you know, all the times it would have happened. Sorry, I won't do it again and everything. But addiction is so strong that it can, it can um, take a long time to deal with, but it can be done. That's the message. There is hope okay. and there is help. And uh, we are, you know, that you're bur- anyone's burying their head in the sand if they think uh, cocaine isn't in their neighbourhood or isn't in their town or our village because it's every, it is everywhere. And I know one of the yes. stats that you use that we're, we're, the, we're the joint fourth highest consumers of cocaine in the world. A little country I like know, Ireland. It's incredible, isn't it? It is. We're up there with the US and Austria and it's only Australia, the Netherlands and Spain that are after us in the list. So, 
it's a bit it's a bit worrying if it um it's more than worrying as the person I interviewed used things like horrendous and and cruel and nightmares and those those words come into it but we have to face up to it and just admit that it's out there and that it is a problem i think that's the first step in in doing anything and to say that recovery is recovery is hospital is possible and do you know reach out and try to get help for yourself and your family and you know turn a corner and just i suppose think positive okay. it's um that's the best way to do it just okay. acknowledge it's there and try to get help Okay, it's a great article and I know uh, next week's uh, part two you're focusing on non-residential treatment programmes. We look forward to reading that. Margaret, thank you for that and thanks for taking time out to talk to us. You're very welcome, Patricia. Good Thank you. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is Margaret Hawkins from the Irish Farmers Journal and it's in the Irish Country Living section. You can see uh, part one of uh, young people, urban and rural, are accessing cocaine via social media. It's a really, really good report. 0818 103 103. Um, our lines are open. Just some of your calls and texts uh, coming in. I spoke about the situation in the Middle East at the top of the programme this morning. Somebody says, Patricia, what you must remember is Hamas and Gaza struck first. Uh, so you can't just sit back and let a nation bomb and kill you. Israel have to fight back. I think uh, nobody, uh, everyone is condemning what Hamas did last weekend. But I think it's it's how appropriate the response is. There's a lot of innocent children uh, in Gaza. I remember half the population of Gaza are children who are being carpet bombed almost uh, um, on an hourly basis. It's just how appropriate the response should be. Uh, Kieran said he was talking to his uh, son, who he describes as a very well-educated young man. And he was asking him, you know, what he thought about what was going on in the Middle East. And he said he could see his son was almost looking at him blankly. He's in his early 40s and he just didn't seem to have a clue what's going on. And then Kieran uh, realised that his son doesn't watch news bulletins. He gets most of his news via social media. media. Kieran thinks that's a big worry for the next uh, generation. They won't have knowledge of what's going on in the world because many people today under the age of 40 don't watch the news. That's from Kieran. And Aaron in Bandon says, I don't see much on TV anymore about the war in Ukraine. Remember, the war in Ukraine is still going on. All of our concentration now is on uh, Gaza. 0818 103 103. Uh, John Paul's taking your calls. You can text our uh, WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 Brought to you by C103 The IBI and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee Check out ourstoprotect.ie for more info This week on Ours to Protect we meet Marion Cantillon the founder of Pitseal an eco-friendly solution to silage covering Pitseal is a startup company founded on the UCC Ignite programme. And Marion explains where the idea came from. So it was actually during my postgrad, I was doing a thesis on replacing plastics in retail. So we were replacing the plastic on, you know, the fresh fruit, uh, strawberries and raspberries kind of section. And I kind of went a bit rogue on my thesis because I guess it was during COVID and we all got sent home. And I think anyone from a country household knows the minute when you go home, you get put doing 
either farm jobs or jobs around the house. So I got put doing uh, silage and I remember thinking this is so inefficient, it's so slow, it's so time consuming. And while I was writing my thesis on replacing plastic in retail spaces, I kind of thought, why couldn't I do it in agriculture? And I guess that's where the whole light bulb moment for me kind of hit. And then I went back to UCC when COVID all finished up and was able to join the Ignite programme in UCC which is an accelerator and helps startups kind of get their feet and pave their way forward so that was an incredible move for us and it really put a business around let's say what was just a concept um, during my college years to now actually having a business built. When it comes to covering silage on farms Pitseal takes away the need for plastic and tyres. Marion explains the process. So it gets rid of the plastic completely it's a spray-on solution so it's a one-man job It literally just either attaches onto the back of the tractor, which covers the main body of the pit, and then you can reverse the tractor up onto the pit, spray down. And then there's a lance for the sidewalls or any little pesky corners that the spray bar may have missed. So there's no need for any plastic. There's no need for any tyres. And then, of course, the beauty of it is during winter, when it comes to feeding season, the film is actually consumed by the cow with the silage inside. So we've made sure that it is 100% zero waste and that it's still edible. for the to save the farmer time and make a much more streamlined process, I think, to what the existing alternative is. Pitsfield saves time for farmers during the silage covering process. And Marion says the product's been well received by the farming community. Uh, yeah, that was probably one of my biggest worries. But actually, do you know what? It's, it was completely irrational because they've actually come to me. I have people showing up at my test farms. Um, I have people showing up at the house trying to see what the product is, see how it's applied. Uh, they've been so accepting of it. Um, I think as well, it's the fact that we're saving the farmer time. It's obviously in the sustainability agenda. So like one big thing for me is sustainability. I'm currently doing my PhD in it and my focus is in mitigating emissions. So I incorporated that into the film film and added in methane reducers so as the cow consumes the film with the silage um, we're reducing the methane the cow will produce so obviously that really sparked an interest in a lot of the early adapters and a lot of those farmers that are really conscious of that sustainability so what I thought initially would be kind of a barrier it actually was completely irrelevant because farmers are now coming to me and wanting to know more wanting to see more wanting to see the sites wanting to see it in practice so they've been really accepting and I couldn't thank them more for open welcoming me with open arms because obviously a female in agriculture is a bit of a rare sight, especially on the business side. So, um, no, they've been uber supportive and um, they've been following me from the get-go, which has been brilliant. Pitt Seal is preparing to head to Lisbon next month to attend the Global Tech Conference Web Summit. Marion was at a special Runway to Web Summit event in Cork during the week and celebrated Irish startups ahead of the prestigious Global Technology event. Web Summit is one of the world's largest technology event companies, headquartered in Dublin with operations around the globe. 24 of the best Irish startups have been selected by Web Summit to exhibit at the Irish Island during its global conference and to promote the Irish startup ecosystem. Marion says it's a great opportunity. Richard Ford had this session with uh, Pat Phelan and Joe Lennon. They were uh, outstanding entrepreneurs, Cork, Cork entrepreneurs and really successful businessmen. But yeah, the Web Summit is the biggest tech networking event in the world and uh, it offers obviously Pitsiel a great opportunity to raise awareness for our innovative technology and to meet, of course, hundreds of investors, which is also a big plus. But um, it's fantastic to have those events in the lead up to the Web Summit 
because it gives us invaluable support and a range of topics from maybe chatting with VCs and how best to approach venture capitalists to marketing our solution to how best to pitch. Um, so we're really thankful of all the Irish hub here, I guess, and the Web Summit for preparing us for the Lisbon dates. And we're excited to showcase our brand new product on, uh, I guess, the world's most influential tech stage in Lisbon coming up next month. And Marianne says farmers are interested in exploring new technologies and innovations. They've actually opened their hands and adapted any new innovation or technology that's coming down the lines that is in the support of this green agenda and, of course, reducing the emissions. So they've been really adaptable and uh, willing to try new technologies because that's obviously not the easiest thing to do when you're so used to having your system behave the way it always has. So they have there's been a fantastic interest and a fantastic uptake, which is brilliant. And finally, what's next for Pitseal? The long-term plan, well, uh, we're still developing out, so I'm not commercially viable yet. Um, I plan to do that in 2024. I'm just getting all my uh, certification and tests above board this season. Um, and then, of course, coming during winter, we're planning on going over to New Zealand and Australia. We have two test uh, trial farms over there, so we're planning to get them up and going. And the long-term plan, I guess, is, yeah, get rid of plastic full stop in the silage process and everyone trying to go to a pit seal alternative that would be the ultimate gain and I guess that's what we're striving towards and to find out more about pit seal they're on social media and pitseal.com or you can check out the show notes of this episode Ours to Protect brought to you by C103 the IBI and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee check out ours to protect.ie for more info and just on some uh, breaking news, it's uh, just been reported that the human remains found in the house in Yall uh, this week are those of uh, the missing woman, Tina Satchel. Uh, a DNA match uh, is expected today after officers, or the DNA match uh, was found after they found the bones under the floor. The remains were moved to uh, Cork University Hospital and the sample of the bone was sent for DNA uh, analysis and a major search of the house and the garden uh, in the East Cork town of Yall is continuing. And of course, as we mentioned earlier, when we were speaking with Ralph Regan of the Irish Independent, a man in his 50s was arrested yesterday and he can be held until later today. But the breaking news is that the human remains uh, found have been confirmed uh, as those of missing woman uh, Tina Satchel. 0818 uh, John Paul taking your calls. Now, I want to go to the phone lines because we had an email in earlier on a topic that I'm sure we addressed, I don't know if it was this time last year, but we definitely spoke about it last year. And it's an issue uh, to do with Dunmanway Swimming Pool. Sarah joins me. Good afternoon to you, Sarah. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, you have, it's a young lad learning how to swim, is it? That's right, yeah, yeah. Okay, what's been going on? Uh, So, at the moment, um, you, you you book your block of five lessons. Okay. Um, and then once once you're into the fourth week, you have to start to book again. So you're given, like, if you want to book a Wednesday, then you have to ring on a Wednesday between 8 and 9 a.m. Um, so on the fourth Thursday, Friday, you're, you're given the week, you're given the time to ring. But everyone is trying to ring at the same time. And it's impossible to get through. And when you don't get through, you don't get left. <sighs> 
Okay, so how, how, how many? This morning now, I rang between myself and my husband. We dialed the man my swimming pool number nearly 600 times. Yeah, and you actually sent me a screen grab of it. I mean, you literally were just pressing redial, redial, redial. Yeah, you know, at, at those times, in the, on those days, we don't, we don't even hardly look at the other children. We're just sitting at the table, pressing, pressing, pressing. Just trying to get, um, just trying to get his lessons. Okay, how, ma- now, how many, how many lessons has he had? Well, no, he's swimming since February. Okay. Uh, he started with school in February. He is eleven, going on twelve now. Um, he is autistic, so it does take him a bit longer to learn. Okay. But he's doing extremely well, so much better than we ever expected. So, um, and it's his only interest. He has no interest in anything else. Um. <sighs> For years, we couldn't have to get him into the shower, not to mind into a swimming pool, you know, and he's he's just one step away from the deep end. So that's how good he's gotten. Um, and I just think it's, it's so unfair. I think if you're in the system, you should be allowed to to keep going until you've completed your lessons and then, you know, let someone else in. Yeah, it does seem crazy the the system that they're using. That they're so your lad now has to step aside. Somebody else could come in who'll just begin learning to swim, and then they might be able to block book the next five weeks, and they'll be pushed back while somebody yeah. else goes in. That that isn't making any sense. And you are aware the reason that you're having so much problems getting through. There literally is one phone line taking all of those calls. Yeah, and the worst thing about it is when you do get through. They've won, the last time we got through, there was one card machine because you have to pay, you know, on over the phone. Yeah. So that's one card machine between I don't know how many people are taking calls. You know, like you're left waiting, you, you, you're so, they say, oh, just wait now and waiting for the card machine. Oh, God. You know, then you get so, um, like that's delaying more time. And you've only the hour, it's 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Monday to Friday on the certain week that you have to ring. How many swimming classes do they do each day? Uh, do I'm know? not sure because it's broken down into beginners, improvers one, improvers two, deep end, uh, pre-lanes and lanes or something like that. So they're not on every day, as in okay. improvers two mightn't be on every day of the week or every time. So you, like I was ringing today to try and get tomorrow morning, or Saturday morning, but now we've none. And it's I, I, and because obviously your 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 little lad is at school. It's Saturdays is well. Saturdays just work easier for yeah. us as a family. Now we were doing Wednesdays. It was an awful rush and panic every Wednesday trying to get there. But we we did it. We just did it. You know. Um. But other I know lots of mothers. Lots of mothers can't or fathers as well. But you know they can't get their kids into swimming. And I think every summer we hear so many kids drowning. Yeah, and how important so swim important. lessons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I know last year when this very same issue came up and it was Councillor Independent, local independent Councillor Declan Hurley uh, was raising it because he had parents telling exactly the story that you've just told me, Sarah, telling him people who had called 300, 400, 500 <coughs> times and simply couldn't get through. Now, it, yeah. it, it, it had a lot to do with the fact that we were coming out of COVID and of course the swimming pool was closed and the amount of people that wanted to register for swimming lessons. But I yeah. remember last year it was suggested, could they not put in an online system for booking? Yeah. It would make the most sense, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. But then again, I suppose it's still, it's still only look at the draw. If, if you get your application in on time, you know, there's always going to be people left out. I, I totally understand that. But 
I feel that if you have a child that's moving up through your levels all the time, they should be given the opportunity to finish it out. To get to the end. And where where do you reckon your young lad is? He's an improver too. Oh, um, he's so well up. Like he's, near, like he's nearly there, you know? Yeah. So, oh, but I, I just feel, you know, um, I suppose it, it'll set, It'll set us back anyway, I know that. And I presume it'll set other kids back as well when they can't get in. But when you're there, then there's people from all over coming to Demanway because there's no other um, council-run swimming pool anywhere. That's doing swimming lessons. Yeah. yeah. I mean... Well, listen, it's, it's a really, really... Yeah. to pay a big... Uh, yeah. um, it's you know, a, it, but it's a hugely successful swimming pool and, and long may it last. Absolutely, yeah. and we're delighted to have it, but the, the system to get in is just... It's flawed. It's not fair. Yeah, like. it's, it's flawed. really not fair. And I have to say, my heart goes out to you, Sarah, because I didn't realise from your, in your email that your, your little boy is, is autistic because routine is so important for anyone Absolutely. with autism. So ha- have you told him that the lessons are going to start? Not yet. Oh, I haven't broken no. it. Because he was gone on the bus this morning. I was still phoning, phoning, phoning but when he was gone to school. So um, I'll have to tell him now when he comes home. Oh, God. OK, listen, we're on to the council um, uh, just to see. Uh, they've got to come up with some other... They've got to come up with a solution for the one phone in, firstly. But they also have to come up with some kind of a system. I think you're right. Once you get in and you start and you're moving up along the line, let that group of young people, children, qualify. They're swimmers. And then let the next... Yeah. Yeah. I just think that seems to be the most fair way, you know. It'd be different. I wouldn't... Like, if he was, you know, stuck in the same group and he wasn't moving anywhere, then I'd say... Okay, you know, other people deserve to move on. But he's up to improver too. But when you have someone that is moving on really good and and really confident and then, oh, well, now we've got no swimming for five weeks, then, you know, he can regress. I don't know if he will or not, but he could. Yeah, and as you say, he's not like, he's not a child that has lots of other interests that he'd be going off to GAA or soccer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My heart goes out to you. Okay, listen, we'll we'll keep in contact with you, Sarah. And as I say, we are on uh, to the council. But thanks for sharing that with us. Okay, thanks. Good morning. Bye bye. Bye bye. Uh, Sarah, they're joining us. And as Sarah said, she is not the only uh, parent in the Domamway area who is trying to get their children in for swimming lessons. As I say, came up this time uh, last year. And there was a huge number, if I remember rightly, on the waiting list to try to get in for uh, swimming lessons. But to have one phone line in and and then to expect, you know, children that are working their way up, you know, getting up to improver too. You know, you're very close to getting to the deep end where then you're, 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 you literally can stop your swimming lessons because you're able to uh, swim. But my heart particularly was out for Sarah uh, because of her little boy being, uh, having autism. It just adds an extra layer of uh, problems for her. 0818103103. Uh, just quickly looking at some of your texts that have come in that I want to give a quick mention to. We were talking about the rugby team uh, heading off and the fans uh, heading off. I'm told that Ken uh, Tobin is still at the Cork air- Airport as the rugby fans are, are ready to fly to uh, France. Now many have already left at this stage for Paris so I'm told that the bar is less noisy. So let's just go quickly over to Ken. He's with a New Zealand supporter and an Irish supporter. I'm going to start with this man here because he's wearing an all blacks hoodie and an all blacks hat. 
there's a fella down there in the Leinster jersey. He's he's equally as brave. How are you doing? Yeah. What's your name? Uh, well, um, my name's Jesse. And where are you from? Uh, originally from New Zealand. Yep. And you're off to Far off to Paris. Off to Paris. Watch. Uh, we've got the two quarterfinals: uh, New Zealand, Ireland, South Africa, France. Wow. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Can't wow. wait. How do you think Ireland are going to do? Honestly, I'm, I'm glad this probably doesn't air in New Zealand, but I think Ireland uh, are set to win it, to be oh, fair. Great. I think they've got the better team. Um, you know, as long as they can overcome the psychological history uh, of not clearing the quarters historically, I think they're, uh, they're a shoo-in. I'd love to see your, your, your Instagram timeline, because mine is all the, the, the Ireland-focused media. What's the New Zealand media saying about the, the threat that the Irish can bring? Oh, yeah, it's, it's certainly the narrative coming out of New Zealand is it's a coin toss. Yeah. You know, it'll come down to a couple of key moments and who can get their game on early and, and, and you know, who can get there first. Let's talk to the Ireland fan. What do you think? Uh, I think it's going to be a really tough game. If Ireland can subsume the pressure like they did in South Africa, I think we have a great shot of beating the Yeah. But nobody's going to say it's going to be an easy game. You know, There's a lot of respect from both teams here. They've all said that players 1 to, one to 23 need to bring 100% to this but who needs to have the game of their life? Uh, the Irish fans need to have the game of their life and push the Ireland team on when they need it because I think we're going to be outnumbering the Kiwi fans in the stadium I think that might be the deciding factor. Ah, I love that I love that it will be the fans that push them over the line and good to hear uh, the New Zealander uh, saying that he's uh, he reckons Ireland have it as well and he's right it is going to be it's the psychological bit of just knowing that they can uh, do it come on Ireland and then a listener says Patricia good luck to the Irish team uh, tomorrow but this listener is fearful could this be a Cheltenham situation all over again back in the day the Irish flooded into Cheltenham and guess what happened they brought back Covid will the rugby fans bring back bed bugs creating a similar widespread infestation like they have in Paris at the moment bed bugs are literally crawling on Parisian cinema seats on bus seats and hotel beds and all over carpets it is so gross at the moment but with this number of Irish fans travelling how can we protect ourselves well there was an equal number that travelled out last weekend. They are saying that anyone who travels, uh, you've got to be very careful with washing, wash your clothes as soon as you uh, come home, hoover out your suitcase, don't put your suitcase on the bed, try and keep your suitcase off the floor. They gave loads of uh, tips, but yeah, anyone travelling needs to be really, really uh, careful. And just a bit of advice for the listener who needs to get her driving test. She needs to get a date for her driving test so that she can renew her provisional licence and she is a carer and she needs the car for work. Hi Patricia on driving tests. It does say on the RSA website says this listener if a person is employed by the HSE a private hospital or in the emergency services and needs to drive as part of their job but that doesn't include commuting to their workplace they can complete what's called an emergency driving test request form. I heard you say that the lady who wrote to you is a carer. She might come in under those rules. Even if she doesn't quite fit the criteria, she could always complete and submit one of those forms as the Road Safety Authority seems to assess each one on its merit and they just might have sympathy for her situation. Yeah, that's exactly what I was saying for her to do is to reach out and say I need an emergency date and an emergency uh, test and, and hopefully that's uh, the route that she's going to go down. And then on Kevin Backhurst and RTE. Patricia, Kevin Backhurst and RTE should not 
not get a brown cent from the Irish taxpayer to bail them out. I watched the goings on at the PAC yesterday. Kevin Backhurst and RTE hiding behind legal privilege on so many issues. The TDs should not be questioning these people. I feel it should be the fraud squad or corporate enforcement. Yesterday we learned more about RTE's bogus employment contracts. RTE are insolvent or they are due to be. Plus all the previous issues with RTE breach of corporate governance, fraudulent accounting practices, secret side deals done in a room and the people who were in there all swanned off into the sunset with big salaries and pensions. Yesterday Kevin Backhurst said he would fight the PAC in the High Court not to release the document that is at the centre of the crux of this whole issue with RTE. I know Patricia that you said it's the law of the land to pay our TV licence but when you see all of what has gone on in RTE I believe it's criminal. It's unbelievable what's going on. I have to question that in, I have a question that's in my mind why the Irish government won't pull the plug on RTE. RTE is not the only public broadcaster in this state. I'll finish with a quote. What Kevin Backer said yesterday, my priority is the integrity and trust to RTE. I'm sorry to say to this man has a lot to learn. The Irish taxpayer has been the RTE employer for years and trust and integrity should be to us. At the end of the day, RTE has no integrity or trust of the Irish people. Sorry for this long-winded message, but I feel these are valid and truthful points and they need to be put into the public realm. Thank you for that. 0818 103 103. Your lines are open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Johnny McAvoy is appearing in the Glen Theatre in Bantir uh, tonight. Uh, the number to call for tickets is 029-56239. A fundraising concert in aid of the Irish Motor Neuron Disease Association and Marymount Hospice. It's in memory of John Mulcahy. That's taking place in the Arches in Mallow Marquis tonight. The doors will open at 8 and it's cash returns. Johnny Cash and June Carter. It's a live tribute show. It starts at half 8. Now please note it's strictly over 18 and so some tickets will be available from the Arches. Fremont Music and Drama Group, they're holding a quiz night in Barry's Bar tonight. Starts at half eight. Tables at four forty euro. There's been go on in Mallow Complex GAA tonight. Six thousand five hundred euro is the jackpot. While Newcestown GAA, they're hosting a meet and greet night tonight between six and seven thirty in Newcestown GAA Complex. This is in preparation for the Senior A Furling A Hurling County Final on Sunday, the twenty second of October. Want to go along to wish them well, get a photograph or an autograph with the players and maybe have a puck around while you're there. And finally, Kidalry Bingo is on tonight in the store at the Creamery Yard. Jackpot there, €2,550. Cork today on C103. Now, yesterday saw my next guest complete a huge challenge by taking on an ultra-endurance running event that saw him run from Malinhead to Mizzenhead. The challenge was a fundraiser for the National Council for the Blind and Peter Ryan, who did the run, is also a service user with the NCBI. Good morning to you, Peter. Hey, Patricia. How are you I'm, I'm, I'm very well, and you're very welcome to the programme. Now, you set out last yeah, Sunday, and five days later, you arrive in a Mizzenhead. First question, how are you feeling today? Uh, pretty pretty sore, but I've probably been pretty sore every day for the last five days, so it's... Um, <laughs> 
nothing new. If you come first in uh, the paint threshold thing, but um, no, honestly, it's just a really nice feeling you're here. We're still in the hotel lobby. We're kind of the group, like we're actually like became so close even over the last week. I think let's just don't want to go home. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the real world is going to be a struggle, but uh, yeah, no, it's going going well. Going so, well. what was the to- when you look back on the five days? What was the toughest day for you? Um. Just, just to annoy one of the lads that's here near enough to the interview, I can say when Rory uh, added an extra 3k on at the end. Oh. Um, no, we, we, uh, we, we had a little bit of a directional malfunction that we thought we had 10k left and we took took a little wrong turn. So you didn't need to be adding extra miles to the thing. But um, no, on a serious note, like like the, the whole thing, it just takes you everywhere. Um, it's it's not even like, Dave, like the guys... I, say back in Bor on the Wednesday they thought they were pulling me out like it was you know, there was there was that constant thing of like are we gonna be able to go with the next one the next one like it wasn't until we got you know, the end of the fourth day and you're down to one day to go where you're like yeah nothing's gonna really beat us on the last day but up to that Shepherdy was kind of in every corner so um, yeah it was yeah. crazy because like in, in total it's 586 kilometres yeah. and if you add on the extra three 589 um, for you, you you broke it down how did you break it down was it how much did you do every day and when did you take breaks yeah I started off with great intentions I was like trying to go roughly 20-25k blocks at a time and like get your food stops and, and rehydrate and all that kind of stuff and keep moving. But those 25s became much smaller um, towards the end. And even at that, like even down to like psychologically with my watch, like I had to like reset it every block and stop looking at the big numbers and just like, right, this one is 10K. Let's just try and do this next 10K. And then it's the next 10K. So like even though a day might have been 115 or one of the bigger days was up 122 or something like that, I never, like, I learned very quickly I couldn't think like that. It just had to be, right, I'm going to, like, I was in Nina on the Thursday morning. I was, like, counting yellow dots on the road just to distract my mind. It, oh, my it, God. It goes, it goes that granular. <laughs> like, so, yeah. And, look, that's, and that's the grand, like, the, the bad side of it. And then you have these mad highs as well where you're meeting random strangers and they're, like, there was, there was a man up, we were further up, we were near to Derry and he, he pulled his ice cream truck in the side of the road. He, he seen there was a bit of hullabaloo what we were doing and he made us an ice cream cone ah. and gave a shout out the window at me and handed it out. Isn't like, that that's, sweet? So you're, there, so you're there running down the road like licking an ice cream cone. So like, yeah, it kind of, it thrown everything out. Like, the so kindness wanna, of, of strangers. Yeah, yeah, it is yeah, great. 100%. Now, you, have you run marathons before? I, I, I know you were a cyclist or are a cyclist, but have you run marathons? Like in the training for this, I had, I I kind of I stepped away from the cycling during COVID, got really unfit, and decided I needed to get fit again because <laughs> that's part of who I am and when I'm kind of happier. Um, so yeah, I did I did one official marathon before. I did Seville last year, and even at that, I actually stopped running after it again. I just didn't keep the momentum going. So um, yeah, I was I was pretty unfit starting this back in kind of January February time. Uh, but like I said, I kind of wanted to set a big lofty goal and like the idea of doing I don't know something that was pretty out there and trying to do a bit of good in the meantime as well so that we kind of landed on something pretty big right you certainly have and it, it, you it's tandem cycling and, and I know you've you've represented Ireland in in the Paralympics is that something that you continue to do no so I stepped away completely from the cycling scene during, during COVID so All right. like that it was like it was hard to 
stay trained. Like we didn't know, like the games got cancelled. I was retiring after Tokyo. Like the plan was go to Tokyo 2020 and then retire after it. And then the games got kicked down the road another year. And I just didn't have it in me to stay going for another 12 months and kind of put all the other life plans on hold for another year for a games that may or may not happen. And I had done it for nearly 10 years at that stage. And I like, I was ready to kind of go into the real world and, mm. and just go and do you know what I mean? Like just, yeah. Like, like I say, like training professionally, it's um, it kind of takes everything, like in the best. It gives you a lot as well, but you have to make a lot of sacrifices. And I was at a stage now where you're trying to think of houses, you're trying to think of just adulty stuff. So, um, <laughs> so that's that's the direction I went down. But yeah, I kind of realised I was missing the that piece, whether it was the the disability piece or the kind of adventure running racing type stuff so yeah so well done and you've, you've certainly gone big because it's if, if, if you've done about fifth it's over 15 marathons isn't it technically as yeah, well you've so, done someone was saying that it's crazy it's just it's it's it's, it's mind-boggling do, do you mind talking to me a little bit about your your sight loss because you weren't born with sight loss no 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 that only came about when i was what 19 so very like short synopsis I taught like I was very sports oriented I would have played a lot of hurling and soccer growing up and taught me the contact lenses and yeah it turns out it was a bit more than contact lenses so um yeah I got a condition basically called Lieber's hereditary optic neuropathy that took 80 to 90 percent of my central vision there over the space of about 12 to 14 months so a 19-year-old gets told within 12 to 14 months you're going to be legally blind. That's, that's, a, that's a tough thing to take on. Yeah, yeah, no, you're, you're, not, you're not quick for it. Like, you're, like, you took words like disability, legally blind, any of that stuff. Like, you don't, you don't associate with it. You don't, like, you don't have role models. You don't know what that life looks like. You just know that you're doing x you're driving your car you're working on a building site you're doing like all the normal things that you and your friend group is doing as well do you know what i mean and then like say your whole world changes your identity changes like and it's it's going to happen in front of you and it's happening over like say what seems like a really short spell 14 months but it's like it's daily it's like say it's granular it's like you know, it's, it's week by week month by month these things are actually you know, just fading away so it's um, yeah no it was like psychologically it was huge um and I'm sure, look, everyone goes through their own journeys, but at 19, like, wasn't wasn't ready for it, wasn't accepting of it, and definitely just, like, yeah, made a lot of stereotypical Irish man mistakes. And the fact that it's hereditary, uh, Peter, anybody else in the family have it? Yeah, and to be honest, I... But yeah, there is, and I don't necessarily... Like, I don't mean to say bad, but I don't necessarily like talking about because he yeah. doesn't talk about a whole pile yet as okay. well, but, like, okay. yeah, it's... But, uh, yeah, there is, like... But you were the first... Saying, you, yeah, were the, the you, were the, you were the yeah. first, okay. Uh, yeah. and, and I mentioned at the outset that this, you know, you know what you've done is amazing to, to have ran from Maddenhead to, uh, to Mizzenhead. Um, but it is a fundraiser for the National Council for the Blind and it's, it's part of helping to fund the first ever vision van. Um, now, I have a daughter who's deaf blind, so I'm, I'm very much aware of the vision van, but I'm also aware that other listeners won't, uh, other people listening won't be. Can you explain what the vision van is all about? Yeah, thanks, Mel. And 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 like that, yeah. So that was a big part of reconnecting with the charity, and I suppose everything that was going on from a family point of view. But the Vision Man essentially is going to be a mobile ophthalmology department. In like like say, I'm I don't work for a charity. I'm I'm a service user. I'm a member. I'm, um, but it's gonna it's gonna get those services out into the communities. We all are acutely aware of 
public system lists and, and whatnot. But um, the plan is to get to 150 towns next year, hopefully see a service and see up to 10,000 people. And like that, that's from, I suppose, they, the way the guys are explaining it, they want to have three pillars. It's like prevention because like up to, they're saying, the stats are saying up to 70% of blindness is actually preventable. So where it's stuff like, like um, so they're going to have equipment in the machine to detect early onset. And sure, if we can detect early onset, we can hopefully prevent or stall or, or at least like psychologically equip someone with what's happening or what potentially is going to happen um and then it's like early intervention stuff for, so the likes of myself when i'm getting a diagnosis way back when that i'm being able to point it in the right direction well this is how you learn how to use the laptop this is how you learn how to try and get back into work or this is where the paralympics are and all that kind of stuff and then obviously the day-to-day of what they do and whether it's cane training, whether it's, you know, um, so yeah, look, they are a phenomenal organization. They're doing a lot for both kids and adults and the whole, I suppose, lifespan of anyone that's blind or visually impaired. But um, like I say, I've really reconnected with the guys in the last couple of years and kind of glad to put on the cap and try well and do done. a good form. Well done. And, and I have a funny feeling that your endurance events, they don't end here, Peter. Have you, <laughs> you need to take a rest. Do you, do you think you'll come back out and do something else again? Uh, look, there's, there's there's always an itch to be scratched, but it like like this has been big and it, it takes a lot. And at the moment, I, I'm getting married next year. I full plans on. A, I think I, I think I'll be shot if I try and suggest something else for a while. So I'll um I'll just let the dust settle and enjoy this. And and really, it is a case of like yeah, still promoting it and kind of just like yeah, we're just delighted we got through it. Okay, well, stage, I can't think of another one. Congrats, <laughs> congratulations. Um, you really are an inspiration to uh, a lot of people and people can donate uh, to Peter's. Uh, what The amazing thing that Peter has done uh, by going on idonate.ie and they've just been in Peter's run Malin to uh, Mizzenhead. It, it, it's an amazing achievement. Listen, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you, Peter. Thank you for that and uh, really enjoy, the rest, uh, enjoy the rest of your time on the beautiful yeah. Mizzen Peninsula because it's a gorgeous part of the world. Thank you kindly. Legs yeah. are a little sore, but yeah. I enjoy every bit of it. Cheers. Give, give, give someone to give you a massage there. You badly need it. <laughs> yeah, Take fair, care. Fair, bye yeah. bye. Bye bye. What a lovely right. young man that is, uh, Peter uh, Ryan uh, Mallon to Mizzen running. That's unreal. Uh, 0818103103. John Paul's taking your calls. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and we're back talking movies with Mark Malone. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Today on C103. And just backing up what Sarah told us about trying to trying to get her son swimming lessons at Domanway Swimming Pool. Similar story. Hi Patricia, I was ringing Domanway Swimming Pool on Tuesday morning. It was uh, for the beginner's lessons for my son. Now he's already done two by five week sessions already. It took 269 calls to get through. The whole booking system needs to be reviewed. If a child can't get a place to help them move forward, it really can set back their lessons and it could be the same next time we've no guarantee to get a place yeah we're getting on to Cork County Council just to see if anything can be done because it just seems a ludicrous ludicrous situation and thank you for your text okay Mark Malone uh, joins me good afternoon Mark um, good afternoon Mark you there with us you are am, indeed. Oh, indeed okay some movies for us uh, you went along to see Blackberry and you also went along to see Asteroid uh, City we're going to take a quick trailer from Blackberry picture a cell phone and an email machine all in one thing what do you call it it's called a Blackberry you guys have no idea how to run a company if we put more phones on these networks they're going to crash 
You said they were the best engineers in the world. I said they're the best engineers in Canada. I created this entire market. In the middle of a hostile takeover! Okay, we're talking about literally Blackberry the phones. Blackberry phones, yeah. 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 Uh, I did a straw poll around the building the other day. I asked everybody, did they ever have one? No. Did you ever have one? No. 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 Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. Anyone, on... anyone in the building have one? Nope. No. Nobody ever used one. And I can hand on heart say I don't know any family member or friend that has one. Isn't that strange? Because for a while, it was the biggest phone of the world. Um, oh. Yeah. I mean, from its kind of, um, uh, from when it basically started, within two years, it was the number one phone in the market. I mean, it was extraordinary, the success uh, of it. And it all was the, um, the you know, the, the idea of these two kind of Canadian nerds. And I, when I say nerd, by the way, that's what they call themselves. And you know what I mean? It's a, you know, I don't mean that in, in an offensive way whatsoever. And a couple of guys in Canada, they were kind of uh, messing about, uh, you know, like kids did at that time. Time and uh, messing about with electronics and stuff. And then they had this idea. Now, at the time, obviously, um, at the start of the 2000s, was it the late, uh, um, I'm not quite sure of the dates off the top of my head, uh, but it was, it, was, it was at the time when phones were basically big, those big, huge bricks, you might remember. Mm. And they had this idea for what they called a pocket link. And uh, what they decided to do was um, to try and sell it. So they went out there, but nobody was kind of very really interested in buying it until they met a man by the name of Jim um, Balsillie. And uh, he sees the potential and it, uh, he decides to mortgage his home and put money uh, in, into this uh, idea uh, because when they went to the, the companies to try and sell this idea the companies weren't initially interested but they said look look, out there there is internet there's internet all over us. there's internet in the air we can use that and our phone you can send and receive emails and and send text messages and receive text messages for free. Uh, of course, then they, they were interested. And what they did was very, very clever. They basically went out there and there's a very, very interesting kind of sequence where they um, where they go to um, very, very middle class kind of um, uh, parts of uh, Los Angeles and New York and go to like tennis clubs. And whilst they're playing tennis, they'll have the, the device in their hands. And so people will go, what is well, that? That's kind of interesting. Or they'd hang around with, you know, um, people in, the, you know, Wall Street and in pubs and bars and they'd sit next to them and start playing with this thing and of course people say that's a very interesting looking phone uh, what is that um, and uh, and so suddenly it was a huge huge success and it was making them huge amounts of money the problem with that of course is that problems come with that because uh, the two boys uh, here played by the director Matt Johnson and Jay Baruchel uh, of course it affects their kind of relationship because Jay Baruchel was kind of uh, you know the head of the company and so their relationship it kind of affected their relationship because Baruchel felt as though you know he had to wear the suit and he had to be you know the the, the more kind of um, the, the more mature kind of part of the relationship whilst um, Matt Johnson basically just wanted to have a good time and have fun and it was a bit like you know when you, you saw Google when it first started you know where, uh, you know where they had um, where they had games machines in the offices and stuff like that and yeah. that's the way he wanted it and then of course in came uh, Jim Balsillie who was not a very nice man but was driven and driven to kind of make money and then unfortunately as Time went on, as I say, within two years, they were the biggest phone in the world. Everybody wanted one. Everybody had one. And then the big bombshell happened. Along came Apple. Apple. And, and the along, iPhone. And along came the iPhone, which is featured in uh, the film. And uh, Steve Jobs, the, that time. And the thing about the weird things that Apple never wanted to make phones. Apple were kind of delighted to move along and go along as they were making computers. But all of a sudden, uh, but Steve Jobs, and Steve Jobs was one of those who had a kind of a negative reaction to the, to the phones. But... Um, but the iPhone killed 
um, uh, Blackberry, unfortunately, yeah. and and all that is is in this film. The film is kind of directed with a, a great deal of pace. It kind of reminded me, and the way it's directed, uh, of a film called Margin Call, which uh, was released about ten years ago, I think. Which again was about big business, and was based on a true story, as this is. Margin Call is on YouTube, by the way, and I would uh, you know yeah. recommend people to watch it because it's, it's an extraordinary film, and it's filmed in a very very similar way. I think Matt Johnson was very influenced by the film because there's lots of kind of handheld cameras, there's lots of reaction, uh, you know, to uh, to the camera. And there's a lot of kind of film, filming behind people's heads. Uh, there's a lot of, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not only really pacey, it's really well acted, it's brilliantly uh, written. And I thought it was absolutely terrific. I think uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's up at around 97%, I think, amongst critics as well. So they liked it too. And especially, of course, if you've had a Blackberry uh, in you your love time. It. Um, yeah, yeah, and people yeah, still it. use it, even though I think they're, they're not making them anymore. And I think um, Blackberry have said, look, you know, we're not going to issue the software anymore for them to, to, to use. But people still have a great deal of kind of affection for that yeah. phone. Yeah, no. Mark it out of 10? I'll give it 8. 8 out of 10. Okay, I've got two minutes so my apologies so I went to you late. Asteroid City. Uh, this is from Wes Anderson. Again, it will depend on whether or not you like Wes Anderson, you know, Grand Budapest Hotel, Isle of oh, Dogs, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the French Dispatch. Now, I liked uh, the hotel very much indeed. French yeah. Dispatch, the last one, I wasn't really, really that keen. Uh, but this one, again, it's just, just your typical Wes, Wes Anderson. Huge cast, of course. He's got everybody in there. Uh, for once, though, uh, Bill Murray isn't there because uh, it was filmed during... Uh, lockdown in Spain and uh, poor old Bill got um, COVID. COVID and couldn't do it and couldn't be in the film <laughs> oh. uh, so um, Steve Carell kind of stepped in so the, 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 the cast is huge, it's huge it's very strange it's very odd it's very quirky it's very Wes Anderson but it's very very beautiful indeed I mean every scene you just know it's like a piece and it's like a work of art and, uh, and look it's very odd and very strange but I'd still recommend it. Uh, it you know if you're not a Wes Anderson fan I don't think you will become one but if you are I think you will love this and I thought this was terrific. Did you like the plot? Well, the plot is very, very strange. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind yeah. of set in this kind of fictional American desert town, uh, town whilst uh, all these atomic bombs are going off. And then an alien comes along <laughs> to the town. They decide to uh, put it into lockdown, which is where he got the idea because of COVID. And, uh, and so, therefore, it just creates absolute mayhem as all these people, these very strange, quirky people, have to spend time together uh, um, in this town. And, um, and I really liked it very, very much indeed. I thought it was terrific. Anybody's talking in that very strange kind of oh. 50s movies way. Remember those old yeah. William Wyler films with Catherine Hepburn and everybody's talking like this and it's very strange and very odd but brilliant. Okay, well done. Mark it out of 10? I'll give it 9. 9 out of 10. That's Asteroid City. Okay, thank you for that. Have a lovely week and uh, we will chat with uh, Mark Malone again uh, next week. Now, that's where I leave you uh, for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing uh, again this week. We are back with you on Monday morning. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger and the best of luck to Ireland tomorrow. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.